Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to the Rotten Horror Picture Show, the horror movie podcast where we talk about films off of the Rotten Tomatoes 200 Best Horror Movies of All Time list. My name is Clay, and with me, as always, is Amanda. Amanda, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I, uh, I, I'm. This is going to be an interesting episode because I don't even know if the majority of the people who will listen to this will be able to actually watch the movie. That's that's actually a good point. Um, I actually I'm going to inform people to watch it ahead of time, like make sure they can get because I don't know if it's going to leave Shutter anytime soon, and it apparently mm. is not available anywhere else uh, for yeah. for a number of reasons, which we can get into. Um, but I think I think you're going to need to see this one to really grasp what we're talking about. Yeah, this isn't one of the ones you can just be like, I have a vague pop culture understanding yeah. of this, so I yeah. can listen to this episode and kind of be like, well, okay. Yeah, no, no not, not, not this time, guys. <laughs> not this one. And what we're talking about is our our next wild card, which is Ken Russell's The Devils. And uh, this is uh, it's it's a movie that was uh, he- he- very controversial at the time, heavily edited when it came out in 1971, and subsequently just you can't find it anywhere. Apparently, Warner Brothers just flat out refuses to put it out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I, it was banned in Finland for 40 years. It apparently was banned in oh, Italy wow. uh, to the point where um, the government told. Oliver Reed and Vanessa Redgrave, if they ever came to Italy, they'd be immediately arrested. Um, really? Yeah, I don't know how true that is, but I, I read it online. Oh. But so there's a lot of controversy built into this film. Uh, Ken Russell was a controversial filmmaker. He is probably most well known for doing uh, the film adaptation of Tommy with uh, The Who. And mm. he also did a movie called Altered States, which I think was probably his most mainstream movie. And even by, by mainstream for him is still pretty not mainstream for everybody else. So, pretty niche. Yeah, that was his closest. Like, I think that might have been an American movie, but I'm not entirely sure. But he pushes boundaries. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, this movie has uh, is not on our list, as I said, but it has a 67% Rotten Tomato score, which I think is a fucking travesty. Uh, but there's only, I think there's only a handful of reviews of it. And I, I, the reviews of this movie are, are really amazing. Um, I've been learning from doing this podcast that Roger Ebert was just seemed like kind of a prude and, uh, he gave this a zero star rating. Oh, Uh, wow. Yeah. Which, uh, the only other zero star movie that I know that he rated, only because it really stood out to me was the usual suspects, which he gave zero stars because he didn't he didn't he didn't understand what happened in the movie. Oh, um, I didn't think it was that hard to understand, but yeah, especially for a film <laughs> critic who does this all the time. Uh, yeah, it was, pretty smart guy too. Yeah, the film was publicly condemned by the Vatican. Uh, Makes sense. It was uh, Judith Kreese called the film a grand fiesta for sadists and perverts. Yep. Uh, Pauline Kale wrote of the film that uh, Russell doesn't report hysteria, he markets it. Um, it, it it's, I find it interesting that it's been received that way because, well, before I get into what I'm going to say, uh, you had not seen this before, right? No, I had not. Had you heard of it? No, not at all. This was This was a total... I was a complete blank slate on this one. This was completely off my radar. Excellent. That's what I like to hear. Um... <laughs> 
for me, I saw this. This was one that was on my radar kind of peripherally as one of those banned films from the 70s and 80s with that. I don't, this probably, mm-hmm. I don't know if this was a video nasty. I don't know if it even made it to video at the time to, to be one, but clearly <laughs> it, it was. It doesn't sound like it was. Yeah, clearly it was of the same spirit as those films. And I had known it to be, have some really intense stuff. Uh, there are scenes in this movie that have been cut out completely that are notorious, one of which is referred to as the Rape of Christ. Um, oh, boy. Yeah, and there's a scene that involves the Reverend Mother of the of the convent. Um, how do I put this? Really enjoying the charred thigh oh. bone of uh of the of oliver reed's poor father grandier yep i definitely read about that scene and then it did not come come through when i actually watched the movie and i was kind of like oh yeah i guess this this is still edited even though the version i watched seemed plenty insane to me yes yes and (laughs) uh so i i knew it as a movie that it was very hard to find and very controversial and then i think around 2017 uh, it popped up on Shutter, and mm. it also started playing at theaters, and it was playing at the Brattle uh, in in Cambridge. And yeah. so this was one I'd never seen before, and it's like, you know, if I'm going to watch this, let's watch it at the theater. So I went. I don't even know if I had watched any trailers. I just knew of it. I'm, I love Oliver Reed. Um, and so I said, all right, I'm going to go for it. Expecting to be, like, grossed out, expecting the worst – and yeah. I could not believe how much I loved this movie. It was, <laughs> it's visually unbelievable. The set design is amazing. The costume design is amazing. That's true, yeah. The story is uh, fairly, it's kind of timeless in a weird way because of the themes that it's dealing with regarding like, uh persecution by religion and 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 uh uh and the and the state and all this kind of stuff Mm. and um it's it was just like you described watching this as an experience and that was what it was for me i was like this was just an experience that i do not think i would have gotten watching it on tv but apparently it's i'm glad to know it still translates yeah (laughs) but i was i can't i can't even imagine like it must have been like borderline overwhelming to have this like on the big screen yeah. Through the big speakers, like the whole nine yards. Yeah, it was um I got to see a handful of years ago, uh the Wicker Man was was touring around mm. in a brand new, like uh remastered digital print. And I got to see oh, that nice. at a midnight movie. And I've seen the Wicker Man, I don't know, fifty times. And <laughs> seeing it on the big screen was a completely different experience. And it was kind of similar to that, where it's like the movie ended, and I just like didn't get up. I just had to like <laughs> sit and kind of process what I saw. Yeah. And I came away. I came away thinking, like, man, that was that was legitimately a great movie. And so I was sad to see it disappear again. It's I've been dying to find it somewhere on on Blu-ray, but it doesn't exist. Um, and it recently just popped up on Shutter again in a unfortunately not fantastic version. It's mm. uh, the resolution seems to be fairly standard definition, and it seems to be edited. Um, I don't honestly, I don't remember if the version that I saw was the the full 
unrated. I don't think it was because I don't think those two scenes were in it. Um, But uh, regardless, even without those scenes, even in a DVD quality format that you're streaming on a small screen, I think this movie still packs a huge punch. And if you can see it, you should because it is fantastic. Anyway, (laughs) uh, I've talked about talked it up for long enough. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll talk about the devils. Do you remember the first time your thoughts were turned to evil things? He plies me with caresses, lustful, obscene. He enters my bed at night and takes from me that which is consecrated to my divine right, God, Jesus Christ. And what form does his incubus take? <laughs> Who is responsible for this evil possession? But of course I can prove nothing. This Mother Superior may be little more than a hysterical nun. But if it is a genuine case of possession by devils, and if Grandier himself was proved to be involved, yes, I think it bears investigation, gentlemen. You've been a magician. I'd come, I'd screw devils. You face eternal damnation. Conjecture is useless. We need a professional witch hunter. We must send for Father Barre. Devils, 1971, directed by Ken Russell, written by Ken Russell, based off the novel uh, The Devils of Loudon by Aldous Huxley. And, uh, so weird. And another play, which I lost the name of here, but you know you can look it up. Um, <laughs> the, the novel is more important than the play, mm. which I didn't realize. I knew the name Aldous Huxley, but I didn't put together until I was looking it up that he was the guy who wrote Brave New World. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's that's why it's so weird to me that this that 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 connection just feels extremely unlikely and, and pretty bizarre. Yeah, and I also I don't know anything about Aldous Huxley. Huxley. I did a very cursory uh, uh, look up about him. Apparently, when he was a teacher, one of his students was George Orwell. So that's fun. Yep, yep. They had kind of like a weird rivalry thing. I think eventually. Oh, really? That's fun. There's nothing. Yeah, where they they sort of I, disagreed on a lot of like aesthetic and also philosophical stances about stuff they disagreed on their vision of dystopic future yep yep pretty much yeah yeah why well, there's nothing better than a literary feud oh they're so good you know there's so much better they're than, so petty yeah they're petty <laughs> which makes them really fun 
they're petty and like when they're writers that means like the quotes that they say about each other are like extra biting versus what you get in like the rock and roll world where vince neal wants to beat up axel rose and he's like come on man i'll fucking i'll kill you and it's like well that's not fun. right like, i'll fight you and i'll win and like yeah. that's the extent of it whereas I, literary feuds are like perfectly crafted cutting comments all the time yeah that are published in some sort yes. of almanac <laughs> forever <laughs> um, the literary feud almanac that's yes. gonna be my first book <laughs> and uh this movie stars oliver reed vanessa redgrave dudley sutton murray melvin and uh, the horniest nuns I've ever seen in my life, probably. <laughs> I would hope so. Yeah, you know I've seen a lot of horny nuns, but I was gonna say if they get hornier than this, I don't, I don't want to know. I've seen well, maybe not the most horny, but like the most, the largest <laughs> number I've seen at one time. Let's put it that way. Fair. Okay. <clears throat> uh, Amanda, what happens in the devils? In 17th century France, Father Grandier is a priest whose unorthodox views on sex and religion influence a passionate following of nuns, including the sexually obsessed Sister Jeanne. When the power-hungry Cardinal Richelieu realizes he must eliminate Grandier to, con- to gain control of France, Richelieu portrays Grandier as a Satanist and spearheads a public outcry to destroy the once-loved priest's reputation. Mm-hmm. That's a slightly misleading summary. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I guess it. I guess it by necessity flattens a few things just for the sake of uh, yeah, efficiency. Yeah, I don't know if you're gonna <laughs> if you're gonna lead with your with the synopsis involving you know uh, uh, psychedelic nun orgies and uh, uh, I don't know, pick something. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway. Giant, giant wheels of destruction powered by Protestants. Yes, there you go. Yeah. 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 Well, other than those things, it, you will find things you will find in this movie include horny priests and even hornier nuns. Mm-hmm. Uh, crocodiles as medical devices, which is really, you know, I, <laughs> it's one of my favorites. I don't know if enough research has gone into that. I think that's a technology that we could probably look more into. Um, but you know, that's, I, that's not for me to decide. <laughs> the chemist of the, of the podcast, Clay McCormick. Yes. Uh, an abundance of subway tile. Mm-hmm. Yep. That, that nun, the, the, the cloister the nuns live in, they it really has a strong aesthetic. Yeah. Uh, aesthetic. This movie should just be called aesthetic the movie. Cause it's yeah, a strong aesthetic. The movie. Yes. <laughs> uh, a pandemic meet cute. Mm hmm. Which is the best kind yeah. i guess yeah, i mean it's just we're all used to those now yeah and a mask for every occasion mm-hmm. and there are many occasions there are so many and all of them involve masks yes they do yeah. so um <laughs> i already talked for quite a bit uh how how why don't you uh, start us off with your feelings of uh, on ken russell's the devils oh boy um <laughs> I I have mixed feelings about this one. I mm-hmm. feel like I wanted to unequivocally I wanted to unequivocally love it. Mm-hmm. But as I watched it there was I feel like maybe I was just overwhelmed. Like mm. you're bombarded with so much in this movie. Like the sets are are extremely stylized, kind of crazy. Mm. Um the costumes are like deeply ornate and and just 
like everything in this movie is so maximalist. Mm-hmm. The acting is very maximalist. Like there's not a lot of subtlety. No. No. <laughs> anywhere anywhere in this in this entire thing and there's just a lot of like so you're you're dropped into this world that is supposed to be roughly historically accurate to you know 1630s or something France mm. and it's i don't know it's weird that that historical basis where it's kind of trying to be like, oh no, this is this is like realistic, mm. <laughs> like like this is like a real place in a real time with real things that kind of happened, but then when you contrast that with just how kind of bananas everything is, it, it I I just felt like I don't know, just very overwhelmed. There's just a lot going on. Um, my first note when I was watching this is. This movie is wild. And <laughs> I underlined wild like three times. <laughs> yep. yep. Because it, it, it opens with this scene of um I think it's it's is it Louis the thirteenth at this yes. point? Yes. Okay, it opens with Louis the Thirteenth uh putting on a stage play where he is uh enacting the birth of Venus mm-hmm. and like in a seashell bikini. Um looks great too. With like Oh, no, I mean, it looks, <laughs> it looks amazing, but it looks I, I so will insane. Say, I will say unequivocally, best mm-hmm. looking uh, 17th century monarch I've ever seen in a seashell bikini. <laughs> he takes first place in that category. Yes. Yes. But it, it just, it starts with this play um that i think is it's a it's a really interesting place to begin this movie because it does add like a meta element to everything else you're going to see sure like it kind of emphasizes that there's going to be this big performative aspect to everything like everything's going to be a pageant everything is going to be this just overwhelming kind of like feast for your eyes and senses and i guess it's you know setting that that's the kind of world that like the rich and powerful live in at this point in time. Mm. And there's like the uh, Cardinal Richelieu in the, in the audience. And he's very obviously kind of gross and corrupt. He's like covered in jeweled rings and he's got these sad looking nuns who won't, will not look up uh, Mm -hmm. no matter what is done to them by the groping crowd around them. Um, But yeah, it's just, it's a, and that's like the first five minutes of the movie. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) The thing's like, okay, holy shit. All right, we're jumping right into this. Yeah, the thing I love about Cardinal Richelieu in that scene is they pretty pretty effectively, I think, and quickly get across that he is more interested in power where the king is just more interested in being king. Uh, cuz yeah, Richelieu, like Richelieu a, is adored. Yes, Richelieu is actively like falling asleep <clears throat> during this ridiculous thing. And yeah. uh <laughs> Only only kind of wakes up when he has this conversation afterwards with with the king about uh, bringing hopefully being able to bring a unity between church and state in order to uh, um, amplify the power of both. Yeah. And after that little moment they have together, that's when the title of the movie is is displayed and it kind of like they display, you know, the word the devils across their faces. Mm -hmm. 
which is kind of great. Like it's it's <laughs> like all things in this movie, it's very heavy-handed sim- mm-hmm. symbolism, but it still looks really cool and is a really effective way I think to start you off being like here are the people who have real power who are kind of in the background of the rest of this story orchestrating what's about to occur. Right. Yeah. Because you get little like like <laughs> his majesty uh shows back up later in the movie disguised but he never reveals himself like haha I'm I am the king I made you fools out of all of you um and we get glimpses at what Richelieu is is trying to do and plan but they never actually like take a big center stage position yeah. with the main characters of Sister Jean and Grandier like yeah, they're always kind of machinations in the background yeah there's never a scene where between like richelieu and grandier where they richelieu is tell telling him the all of the things that he's planning or like that that's right taunting him before he's burned at the stake or something yeah they don't have that uh uh three musketeers scene where richelieu faces right. off with the three musketeers <laughs> that's a great comparison i was definitely thinking about that uh that movie when we were when i was watching this which is ironic because Oliver Reed actually around this time played one of the Three Musketeers in, in uh, the 70s British version of the Three Musketeers. Yeah. So he's got a long history with Cardinal Richelieu and all the fucking things that guy was up to. <laughs> Just really, really hated him. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's such a strange opening that I think really kind of catches you off guard. Um, but sets up this power dynamic that is mm-hmm. at play. And after the title, it <clears throat> more or less smash cuts you to plague, plague ridden uh, Ludon, which is, it's a really interesting uh, illustration of a plague era town because the plague is just kind of a thing that's happening. It's not like, Ludon yeah. is like fairly secure. The whole thing with the town is that they've got these giant walls and everything that keeps them se- secure from invaders and whatnot. But they still have the plague. Um, but it's the the plague is sort of this underlying thing that's going on. But it's it's not really it's not played the way the plague usually is in stuff like this, where it's like the right. center of the issue and it's killing the town and. Uh, you know, Ludon is still thriving to some extent. Yeah. However, I do think one of the the flip sides is the plague is kind of driving people crazy because <laughs> you've got this big scene, this br- bring out your dead scene, which is this unbelie- oh unbelievable nighttime sequence where uh, Oliver Reed goes to this woman's house who's being basically tortured by these quote-unquote doctors trying to mm-hmm. help her beat the plague even though she's about to die and like there's just a level of insanity that is kind of running through the town i think that ends up getting jacked way up once the the main elements of the story start unfolding and and this hysteria takes over everything and it's it's just it's such a great little extra sprinkle for atmosphere and and mood i think to uh, to the rest of the proceedings yeah there's there's something very um 
like Edgar Allan Poe Mask of the Red Death yes, kind of going yeah. on, where it's this like eat, drink, and be merry tonight for tomorrow we we die kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but I think there's like interesting. There's a couple like interesting things that the plague also heightens where. I I agree with you that, that that it causes this kind of insanity, but at the same time, back then, people who were scientists or chemists or whatever they call them, um, they were seen as kind of insane. Oh, sure. For yes. what they were trying to do. Yes. And a lot of times, like modern medicine was kind of born out of those things that mm-hmm. the, the sort of trial and error of treating plague victims. Mm-hmm. Um. Whether it's with crocodiles or hornet stings or what have you. <laughs> or, yeah, yeah, light bulbs with hornets in them. Um, but, but, it's, but it's interesting because, like, we're getting this very, again, maximalist, over-the-top view of, like, oh, God, look, you know, look at this. They're so crazy, these insane doctors. But, like, that was the, I, like, that was the feeling of a lot of religious people, um, mm. like, clergy, nuns, devoutly Christian Catholic people towards medicine was this Mm -hmm. is the devil's work um or this is insanity the only thing that can save me is prayer like i need i need god to save me um your crocodiles and your medical tools will not help me um right but there's that and then there's also like (laughs) pivoting a little bit where you were saying that they kind of treat the plague like very incidental sort of like it's just kind of happening um they're way more afraid, like the 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 higher ups, the the guy who comes in to tear down the walls. The whole reason they're they're they have for even doing that is Protestants. Yes, like they're more they're more worried. Like we got to do something about these Protestants that could be hiding out in this town, rather than mm-hmm. everybody who's dying of this horrible disease. Yes, yeah. So I think it like. It just heightens the like the tension, the religious tension, but also shows how out of touch the like upper class is with what's actually happening to people who live there. Yeah, yeah, and the 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 Protestant hunting thing is, I think, so interesting for the what this movie is talking about in mm-hmm. that the search for hidden Protestants. And the taking down of walls in order to make sure they have nowhere to hide is just a smokescreen, really, for the king of France uh, expanding his rule. Um, because these smaller towns, they can't they without if if they can't protect themselves, then they they must they get enveloped into the larger state, which gives right. uh, the king more power. Which is. Uh, um, one of the one of the lines that Oliver Reed has that is fairly timeless, which is uh, every time there is a so-called nationalist revival, someone is trying to seize control of the entire country. And so they're they're presenting this idea at the end of this religious war where the Catholics were fighting the Protestants that, oh, no, we're still fighting this religious war as a cover for them actually just seizing larger control of the country. And yeah. Grandier is is he's such an interesting character to me. Not only because of Oliver Reed, who is I think one of the most underrated actors uh, ever, because he is fucking yeah, amazing in this. Yeah, <laughs> and I think he's he's amazing in everything he's in. But I think his career was unfortunately um, uh, 
kind of hamstrung by the fact that he was a notorious alcoholic and asshole. Mm, gotta uh, do it. Yeah, so he could be very difficult to work with. He used he worked with Ken Russell a lot, actually. He he was in uh, one of his his previous movie, which is called Women in Love, which I I do need to see. Oh yeah. Um, and features was very notorious at the time for a an extended naked Greco-Roman wrestling sequence involving Oliver Reed and another guy. Um, <laughs> oh boy, always pushing the envelope. Uh, but he's he's fantastic. I mean, he's got this gravitas that just is. I mean, in this role is just every time he speaks, it's so deliberate and so you know booming and stuff. And uh, Grandy as a character is this really fascinating sort of. I hesitate to call him a modern character in a in an antiquated era, but he's kind of weirdly progressive in that. He's not a good guy. He's a shitty person. He's a priest with yeah. a ton of power, and he knows how yep. much power he has. But as a, he still recognizes that he recognizes in himself that he's a shitty person, and that that is just the nature of humanity. Essentially, that people are going to be <laughs> shitty and they're going to abuse power. And he's got this interesting streak in him where. He's almost more legit of a of a of a priest or a religious figure or a religious person than anybody else because he comes off as more of a like a servant of God more than a servant of the church kind of thing because he has all of these conflicting views about himself and about the religion that he's in and about mm-hmm. how those things are like he's not he's he's totally honest about who he is he's he's vain he's prideful he's you know lustful but somehow that the his own honesty makes him his honesty about his his uh awfulness somehow makes him more righteous than the people who are are completely uh lying about how awful they're being and it's just right. s- such a interesting dynamic because you've got this awful guy who is put in this <laughs> situation that you could call it uh you know uh chickens coming home to roost if you if you want to but he's put in this situation that is not of his own making directly and the awful guy ends up coming out looking the best yeah i mean i i think the difference between him and the other clergy that we see in this movie is that even when he is like selfish or shitty or even cruel he has a certain underlying integrity about certain things yeah like he has real lines he will not cross he has real philosophical and like even if he has poor morals he has strong ethics yes that's a really good way to put it yeah and it, it makes him like for the first you know portion of this movie I was like, I really hope I'm not supposed to be like super rooting for this guy because he sucks. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like one of the first real scenes you get of him as a person is uh, when he's with Philippe, the the young woman he has been having sex with and he's supposed to be teaching her Latin. And she says, I'm pregnant. And he's pretty much like, well, goodbye. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's uh, the it's way that fun. they do it. The way that they do it is so amazing because he's just like laying there bask in the afterglow kind of like looking off into the distance and she's like i'm pregnant and he just goes yeah well i guess this is done 
<laughs> yeah, he, he says something like, so it ends. Yeah, or so whatever. it ends. That's what it is, yes. <laughs> and then he starts like monologuing like a motherfucker. And I was just like, I am, I am both impressed at like the hubris it takes to do this, but also like, oh God, this fucking guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the, the, <laughs> And his house is such an amazing design because oh. it's this like very tall circular house. And when he starts doing this kind of monologuing thing, he's walking a- around on this raised up level where he's literally mm-hmm. looking down on Philippe. As at, uh, again, not super subtle, but it looks amazing. And then when yep. he leaves, he walks down through the floor like almost like he's descending into hell, which is just right, it's right. such an amazing design. No, and it's and it's crazy. It's got all these like statues of of, of you know like kind of these Greco Roman style statues everywhere, mm-hmm. and tapestries and bookcases, and it's just it's like it's both spare but also lavish at the same time mm, because it's yeah. just everything in it's so over the top. There's columns, everything's you know circular. There's no corners or wall like sharp walls. It's just it's such an interesting set. Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah. So you're you're kind of introduced to Grandier as Grandier as this like ultimate ladies man who all of the women, including all of the nuns in the town, are obsessed with. Every him. single like, woman in this town wants to bang this guy. <laughs> oh my god! And I just was like, why are they so into him? And I, mustache, I guess it's... Ma'am. <laughs> not that page boy haircut. No, <laughs> just the mustache. Um. But it's but it's interesting, like like the the level of magnetism he holds for all of these women. It almost is beyond reason, mm-hmm. even in the context of the movies. So like, in a weird way, it does make it plausible that mm-hmm. they might say like, yeah, obviously he had to have bewitched these women. Like, why else would they be so into him after he's been? like sleeping around with all these other women and has this reputation and is like also the priest. Um, But to get back a little bit more to him as like, as a character, Mm -hmm. like he never lies. Right. Like even when he's being scummy or, or kind of just like mean (laughs) to this poor woman, he's gotten pregnant. Like Mm -hmm. he's very upfront. He's very like, we are done. You will have to go talk to your father. I'm sure he'll figure something out. Time for you to go. Get out of here. Like, mm-hmm. and and so I th- I think that the fact that he he has these like I I don't know these like strong stances of where he's at in relation to like his role in the city, his position towards others, and he never deviates from them. Right. Like. You see that set up early on where he confronts uh, the agent of the king who's come in to tear down the walls and he's not afraid of him. And that just that never falters that carries through all the way to the end where he is just like staunch in certain important beliefs. Whereas all the other characters are kind of wishy-washy like they're, they're sort of willing to to change everything about themselves in order to like escape any sort of punishment or you know trouble that either they deserve or don't yeah yeah i it's it's so strange i i find him i think what i find so interesting about him is that he's 
he is oddly more respectable in his lack of morality but being honest about it than these people in the same position of power or even more power who are being uh falsely righteous about everything because i i have i kind of have more respect for a person a, a religious person who has these convictions and and ethics but is totally honest about the fact that they're a shitty person and he's mm-hmm. the difference being he's not he's not exactly trying to change so much until, at least until he meets that woman who he gets married to but even yes. but uh but even there it's like he still has the respect for her and the respect for his his own religion that he will marry her first even even though the prevailing the prevailing idea is that priests can't marry and he's like well right. i mean I mean, I've read this book. I it doesn't say that anywhere. It, like, so he has he he's got this honesty to him that's that's being more being honest about his beliefs uh, versus <clears throat> dishonest about the power that the the larger church and state have. And yeah, I I don't I don't yeah. think you're supposed to root for him really. Um, I think you're supposed to feel sympathetic that like you know the, the as soon as he decides to kind of go straight and get married and, and actually love someone is when he ends up getting torn down for all of the shit he's done over the years. Um, but I don't yeah. think you're really supposed to feel bad for him because everybody is kind of shitty in a, in their own way. Um, you've got the, the Reverend mother who is, uh, played oh by Vanessa Redgrave. She's my favorite. She is one of the most interesting <laughs> characters I think I've ever seen in a movie. Um, yeah. she's this hunchbacked, She's hunchback, but she's Vanessa Redgrave, so she's gorgeous. Right, right. And she's the reverend mother of this convent of that they just really play up how like the the inherent sexual repression of not just a convent in general, but like a convent at that time where it was like mm-hmm. there's a lot of young women in there uh, with no outlet for any of that stuff, probably not really knowing how to deal with it other than just self-flagellation especially after you get a little bit too familiar with yourself and the under the eyes of god you know um (laughs) and it's just her the scene where she shoes everybody out and then crawls into this like little oh man under the floor hovel to watch grandier come up over the hill and how they have the camera on the ground and you see him like kind of rising up as it's so great and her obsession with him which is basically like a crush that has been extended to the most extreme level you could possibly extend a crush to mm-hmm. is just so fascinating because she's got all of these like normal feelings about the hot guy in town, but they're manifesting <laughs> right. themselves through these fucking weird sexual fantasies where he is literally Jesus Christ. Yes. <laughs> and, She's trying to repress them, but at the same time, she's, you know, giving into them. And then she's got to, like, like I said, self-flagellate because of it. And she throws out this uh, – she she sends him a letter asking him to be the new uh, father confessor for the convent so they can, you know, so he can be there. And his refusal of it, which is just a paperwork thing, basically. He's like, no, nah, I got a lot to do. I'm yeah. basically running the town now. I can't do it. I'm going to send this other guy. Is yeah. the is such a devastating rebuke to her 
that she then accuses him of coming to her possessed by the devil and like having sex with her and other women in the convent, which sets off this chain reaction of everybody who is pissed at Grandier now has an excuse to get rid of him. Yeah, and that that scene where she does accuse him is so interesting because she doesn't just like start up with like, oh, he's he's a a, a demonic magician and he's been doing this stuff mm-hmm. to to me and and the other the other women in the convent. She sort of says something kind of negative about him, and and the priest who's there anyway, who is cousins with Philippe, the woman who he that Grandia got pregnant. Mm-hmm is kind of in on this strategy that they're developing to get rid of Grandier. So like mm-hmm. the minute the minute Sister Jean says something about negative about him, he kind of leans in and is a little bit like is that all what else? Yeah, like, are are yeah. you are you sure do you want to say more? You understand that this is a very serious allegation. Like he kind of nudges her deeper into it. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, triggers something in her to be like oh, okay, this is the way I can get him. Like, I'm going to get his attention. I'm also going to get him back for making me feel this way when I'm not supposed to feel this way. And I think then she just dives headfirst into it. Like, yeah. it's just another way to, like, fuel her obsession and and sort of bring him into her life somehow if she can't have him the way she wants him. Mm. And the thing that I find uh, so... Uh, one of the more intense elements of this movie that I feel like makes it stand out from a lot of other films that deal with this kind of stuff is after that ball starts rolling, Sister Jean, who is the uh, um, Reverend Mother, is not she's she's doesn't become just like the eyewitness who there's who's there to testify. She gets completely run over by the machine that she just set in motion. Because yeah. once witchcraft is brought in, then they bring in the witchfinder guy, who we can talk about in a oh, minute. God. And like <laughs> they do the whole let's figure out if this shit's quote unquote real from that era, which is not pleasant in any way, no, shape, or torture. form. It's torture. And she has, you know, started this machine herself, gets run over by it, but at the same time, she never I think she re- she changes her mind once, and they basically convince her that she's she's just saying that because the devil's. That's the thing about the devil. Once you say the devil's influenced you, whatever you say can be whether or not the person you're saying it to likes it or not can be attributed to the devil. Um, yeah, which I think yeah. is something Grandier says in his trial, where it's like they. <laughs> They mentioned something about having like the testimony of the devil, and he's like, "Well, the devil yeah. is the father of lies. You're going to take <laughs> his testimony over mine. I'm a priest." Yep. Um, yeah, and, and it's it's interesting too because it's it's going back a little bit, like looking at the convent overall. You know, we have Vanessa Redgrave and her her beautiful, and she even says. Um, if only Grandier had seen me first mm. instead of the woman Grandier does end up marrying, who I think her name is like Madeline or something. Yes. Um, yeah. And she says, even if she, even if only he had seen me first and my beautiful face looking up through my habit, like sunshine breaking through a cloud or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. And it's like, she is aware that even with her hunchback, 
that her face is beautiful and like perfect Mm -hmm. but her hunchback is like a physical manifestation of that there's something like internally wrong with her that she's like warped and wrong somehow Mm -hmm. and it's also so oh sorry i was just gonna say and it's also a it's also a point of uh self-hatred because she has when she has these fantasies she presents in her own fantasy as perfect until the hunchback element you know as dreams do they kind of get fucking weird and you know move around and stuff the hunchback comes back and that rears its head as this thing that is the uh is her greatest flaw is this you know awful hunchback which is the reason that she'll never be able to be with him kind of thing Right. And, and, and back then, like physical deformities were a sign of like, like society saw physical deformities as a sign that you were like mentally and spiritually corrupt, Mm -hmm. that there was just something wrong with you. Like if you were born and, and, you know, one of your arms was malformed, it was because there was something inherently bad about you as a person and bad in your character. Right. I mean, that's, that's why it become, it had, it became over hundreds of years a signifier for evil or a, a villain yeah. character you know i mean richard richard the third although i don't think he was a great person in reality it's is like <laughs> one of the most famous hunchbacked villains there is um mm-hmm. and you know that's why i'm sure to a lesser extent that's why bad guys tend to have scars or eye patches or you know fake limbs and stuff like that or, oh he's got a hook for a hand he must be evil you know right yeah, yeah, and I and I think Sister Jean is an interesting example of that trope because it's it's kind of a a twofold thing where yes, her her character is playing into that. Like you know something is wrong with her mm-hmm. the minute she shows up on screen. Mm-hmm. She's like hold, you know, she's got her hunchback and she holds her head way to the side. Um and like the way the other nuns react to her in this kind of like combination of like fear and like they're almost a little mocking of her too, though. Um, but it does in this movie, like there is something wrong with her, like <laughs> right. mentally yeah. and emotionally yeah. that leads her down this path. Like whether it's the influences of like society or the way she's been treated because she looks different. By the time we meet her in this movie, she's she is a messed up lady. Um but it's interesting, too, because she talks to when she talks to Madeline, who thinks she wants to join the the convent at first, she says, like, why do you think we're all here? Like, we're here because we were either too ugly for marriage or our, you know, wealthy noble families couldn't afford our dowries. So they just had to put us somewhere. Right. Yeah. And it's just that weird, like, they're, they have been forced into this cloister and they're the type of nuns that don't leave right like they're not ever supposed to leave the grounds of the convent and so they all do kind of bear this grudge against society that i think is really interesting to keep in mind when they later are like so ready to just flip out oh sure yeah (laughs) like kind of go crazy and get their revenge in a way against like Grandier, who's kind of become a symbol of this system that has put them in a box, essentially. Right. I mean, that's that's one of the <clears throat> one of the more um, thought provoking elements of of, of the uh, Sister Jean's and all the the nuns' 
uh, actions is that they are they are while what she does is is obviously reprehensible and, and bad she's the way she is because of the system she's been put into like it's it's mm-hmm. this this vicious kind of circle where yeah she's clearly got something wrong with her but that the that the the negative aspects of that are being compounded by this uh belief system she's been put in charge of essentially and that's the only way she knows how to deal with this stuff and and how to uh, uh translate anything and so when that doesn't line up things kind of crack and then there's the larger the larger system of of like you're saying the the why they're put there and whatnot it's usually kind of because they're rejects mm-hmm. quote unquote to some extent and it's just yeah it's a large it's 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 a commentary on this on this larger system of less so now to some extent but at the time a this uh political religious uh stranglehold over th- over the over society that those two elements had and it's it's yeah. it makes for a super super engaging uh complex character i think in as far mm-hmm. as she goes because yeah she, like at the end of the movie grandier's dead she's kind of like only then kind of reflecting on what she has set in motion but even then she never really kind of like does she i can't remember at the end does she does she say she's sorry for what she did i can't remember if she does i don't think she does I don't think she does. And I, I think by the end, it's kind of implied that she is just like, like the torture has just driven her to such a mental state. Like yeah. she seems like at the very end, she seems surprised that the, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the kind of like uh witch finder priest has left. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, And, and she's like, well, when is the, when is the next exorcism? Like, in her her mind like this has become her life is mm-hmm. like they they kind of have these crazed moments and then she she's like okay i'm supposed to do this like i'm supposed to go kind of nuts mm-hmm. and then i'm going to get physically tortured into submission by these men because i deserve this punishment and then i'll be quote unquote better for a while and then we'll just keep doing it cuz mm-hmm. like that's what's been happening to her and it's just sort of like when when the um Sort of the the God, what is his name? It's like Le 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 or something. I oh, cannot sure. remember. It's, uh, Le 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 <clears throat> Le Bardemont, I guess. Let's go with that. <laughs> sure. Um, when Le Bardemont kind of is talking to her at the very end and gives her the burnt one of Grandia's burnt bones, he even says he ends up saying to her like. Like, no, the exorcisms are done. Mm-hmm. You're cured. Um, the walls have been taken down. This town will die. And you and the other nuns will just stay here inside the convent and fade into obscurity. Mm-hmm. And that's that's it. That's going to be your life. And it's like she doesn't understand anymore. Like the context has been obliterated for her, I right. think. And I think the only time the only time where she really shows any uh, awareness or repentance for the stuff I don't even know if repentance is the word, but like she she realizes that she's in over her head, I think, and she tries to kill herself. Mm. She tries to hang herself, mm-hmm. and they uh, the authorities and the other ends find her before she before she dies, 
and chalk it up to another of Grandier's devilish tricks to try and silence her, basically. So it's like even in trying to kill herself, she has no agency anymore because of this thing she set in motion. And it's just, it's such a, like, it, it, you see your one way out and you try to take it and even that is being controlled and, and, and is uh, uh, denied you by this giant machine that you've set in motion. Um, yeah, because yeah, you serve I mean, a her... purpose to them and having mm-hmm. you, you being dead does not serve a purpose to them. Right, exactly. And I, I, I think her, her and all the nuns, their arc is so interesting because they, they, they do like, she is very separate from the other nuns. But when the first exorcism takes place, the whole reason that the entire order of nuns gets in trouble is that they are about to torture her in what seems to be a very grotesque and painful way. Mm. And the other nuns try to stop the priests. Right. Because they don't want them to hurt her. Mm-hmm. And then later on, the priests and, and, and all take them out into the woods and are like, we have to kill you now. <laughs> for treason, for assaulting, publicly... uh, assaulting the king's magistrate or whatever. Right. And it's like, we have to kill you now. And then the, 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 the witch hunter priest is like kind of heavy handed a little bit like, well, you know, unless you've also been touched by Grandier's evil demons mm-hmm. and you're going to start you know, yelling and, and, and raving and blaspheming and being heretical and you'll, you'll no longer be responsible for your actions. Mm-hmm. And that's when all the nuns are like, yeah, sure, let's do that instead of yes, getting killed. Yes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's this weird, like, uh, not all the nuns went into this thinking like, yeah, we also want to ruin Grandia's life. Right. It's kind of like, we don't want to die. Right. Yeah. So we're going to do this crazy thing. We're going to act like animals. Yeah. And uh, I, I do want to talk about the witch finder for a bit because mm. he, again, you know, you, you brought tank up. Tank top a, priest. What's that? Tank top priest. Yes. Tank top priest. Uh, you mentioned at the end how uh, Lubardema comes in and and uh, Sister Jean says, well, when's the next exorcism? And, and Lubardema says, oh, he's gone. He's. Moved on to the next town, and oh, it yeah. and it is really, it, it it is in line with the way that this witchfinder is played, which is essentially like a rock star almost. Like he looks like a rock star. He's got he's got long like he looks like he's a guy from the seventies, whereas everybody else kind of is you know is in costume period yeah. costume. Oliver Reed looks like Oliver Reed, but he's got a little bit yeah. of period uh, <laughs> look to him. This guy comes in, he's got sure. the like John Lennon circular glasses, he's got the long hair. He looks like a rock star. And, yeah, he, he doesn't have any sleeves on his shirt. Right, yeah. And what he does is he's the, he's the, he puts on the show. And as soon as the show is over, he leaves. He doesn't give a shit what happens after the show's over. The show's over. Mm-hmm. He goes on to the yep. next town. He, he causes the frenzy, causes the crowd to go crazy. And then once the show's over, he that he's on to the next one. Which is so interesting because I, I think that's actually, if I'm remembering correctly, like pretty historically accurate for those types of like witch hunters. Yeah, sounds um, right. Yeah, they would just kind of rove the countryside and they would sell their skills. They would they would come to a town and say, Oh, well, you know, there are there are witches here, and mm. if you pay me 
when when it's like non-clergy, but in this case, he's he is getting paid probably by the church. Um, I will help you find the magicians and, and witches and the possessed people. Yeah, it's like, and then he moves on, and then he he goes on, and and to me, it's really interesting because the implication is that like. He's moved on to the next town, so this movie could be happening all over again in all these different towns he's going to, essentially. Mm-hmm. And it will happen again when we get to a later wild card pick and we watch Witchfinder General, which is mm. one of my... Actually, that might actually be on the list. I'll have to check that. But uh, it's uh, not quite as not quite as um, over the top as this one is, but it's still pretty intense. It's, it's really good. I don't know how you could match this no. for over the top. No. Um, you know, but yeah, but he's that, that idea of this witch finder who comes into town and, 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 uh, causes his frenzy to drive out the quote unquote demons. It's like today, if there was a state appointed revivalist preacher who would go town to town doing like revival shows where he's driving the demons out of everybody coming up on stage. Uh, He's... But he's paid for by the state to do it, essentially. Um, <laughs> right. And right. also, I mean, if he was also torturing and killing people in those things. But, you know, things things get even out and, and uh, entertainment gets a lot more uh, um, uh, accessible as time goes on. So, yes. um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it, it, the, the way that they play him is mm-hmm. so fascinating because... I don't really know. I don't I don't know how you feel, but I I don't know where he comes down on the proceedings because there are some elements where I feel like he believes what he's doing 100%. But there are other times where he is definitely playing to the crowd and he knows that he needs to do things a certain way to please the state. And there's a couple uh instances where um when Grandier's tied to the stake at the end he gets up and puts the cross in his face but as he gets up close uh-huh. to him he spits at him so yep. grandier flinches away and and uh father beret the uh, um witch finder's like see how he turns away from the redeemer blah 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 like as a sign mm-hmm. that he's, and so he's doing these theatrics that he's trying to bolster his own uh argument here um and there's the other scene where I, I is it a duke or something who comes in or is that the king? I can never remember who that, it is. That is the king disguised as some sort of duke. And oh, it he, is. Okay. He refers to himself as like a cousin of, of his majesty or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but yeah, it's he, definitely him. He comes <laughs> in and he gives Father Barre this uh, uh, relic that is supposedly uh, this little box that supposedly holds the actual blood of Christ. And he's like, right. surely the demons would be driven out by such a powerful relic. And Barre starts mm-hmm. like grabs it and, you know, does the Undertaker thing where he like with the urn where he holds it up and you know reveres <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. And then he starts bringing it around to all the women and they all start calming down because he's like, this is the blood of Christ. This will drive the devils out of you. And they all go back to normal. And then the, right. the king opens up the box and there's nothing in it. And he's basically shattered this entire stupid uh, charade that they're doing but somehow that doesn't matter and they kind of spin that right. back into just like oh yeah we got you i'm a devil and i i knew what was happening and you look like an idiot now beret but we're all real devils still and it's it's yeah <laughs> so i don't really know where to well, come down on him well so i i i think a big part of it is that 
especially as you get into that kind of end portion of this movie, you see more and more how readily the townspeople, they want to turn on Grandier, on the nuns, like on these pious people, like for them, this is pure entertainment value. This is this is mm-hmm. just a show. This is them watching another show the same way the court was watching the king's play at the very beginning. It's all pageantry and entertainment. So it doesn't matter if there's no internal logic. Like, they, they, they are convinced because they want to be convinced because for them it's more fun if, if right. the show keeps going. Right. right. And I think with the... Um, with the witch hunter priest, I think he knows that. I think I think he is a zealot who believes that there really are demons and possession and all of that. And then he thinks, well, but but to keep the people happy and therefore keep my job, I have to provide them with a certain amount of, you know, like outward kind of the, the, the circus appear appeal of it. Yeah. Um, because for him, you know, he, he lives in kind of a precarious position where if you're found to really, truly be a fraud, or if it could be implicated that you're somehow in cahoots with these demons, like you are very quickly going to end up on that stake. Oh, sure. Well, I mean, uh... so the best, the best way to do it is just keep everybody like in your pocket, like be, be the, the showman. Yeah, because I, I mean, you even get a little bit of that at the end during the the uh, execution sequence, where the crowd turns on the other priest uh, who goes up and uh, after Barre tells him to go give him the yep. kiss of life, or I don't know whatever the hell thing it is. Which where yeah, I forget what it was called. Uh, where he goes up and he kisses his cheek before he's executed, and everybody starts chanting Judas at him, and then yeah. and and so. The fickleness of this uh, uh, riled up crowd now turns onto this guy who they say later on ended up, I think he kills himself, right? He ends up, they put him away in an asylum because yeah. he keeps saying, we killed an innocent man. And they were like, oh, well, you clearly gone crazy because obviously he wasn't innocent. Yeah. and, and <laughs> Everybody this... says he was guilty, so he must have been guilty. Right. And they, and they even say at the end, too, that... Uh, Ultimately, as as a as even like a in a more intense fuck you to uh, Jean when he's telling her about how this no this town, you your actions have set in motion. Grandier's dead. This town is going to die. We've taken down the walls, and oh, also the fact that he never confessed to it uh, makes him look like a martyr. So he's even more powerful yep. now than he was when he was alive. But at the same time, but it doesn't the, matter the, the, to them because right. they've gotten the the result they wanted. Grandier's gone, and and the town is theirs. Right, and even like the the townspeople, like you were saying, they they turned on the other priest, but they turned on Grandier really fast, and he literally saved the town sure. like two yeah. weeks before this happened. Yeah, <laughs> it's like he he got them to stop tearing down the walls, and all the soldiers and all the people were cheering for him and shaking his hand, and he was like, you know, universally beloved. And then all it took was a good enough circus show to make having him killed more entertaining than having him stay around. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I feel like we could talk about this movie for another hour. Uh, yeah, probably. But <laughs> I feel like we've barely actually talked about anything, but we've talked about a lot. Right. Yeah. But I, I just, I think people should watch it. I think, uh, um, 
Now, I, the last the last thing I want to talk about is this is not on our list. This mm-hmm. is a I don't know how you would describe this movie, but I would call this a horror movie. Um, there was a there was a trend in the seventies, and it has sort of kind of started popping up more now in the last couple of years uh, of folk horror. Um, yeah, the big three of of seventies folk horror being The Wicker Man. Blood on Satan's Claw and Witchfinder General, <laughs> and I'm I'm kind of surprised they don't include this because I would definitely put this in that same category. Especially, this movie is basically the Wicker Man and Witchfinder General put mushed into one movie. Yeah. <laughs> so I, it I, is funny. I did think of Wicker Man when I was watching this. Yeah, I mean, maybe I just have a thing <clears> for <throat> climactic uh, burning people alive sequences while they yell. Uh, curses at people when they die maybe that's yeah. all it takes for me to come out like with a standing ovation i don't know but man's inhumanity towards man yes yeah in the eyes of a of a religion that is probably uh, uh questionable at best <laughs> um but yeah this i was trying to, i was trying to think about I was like well if you don't categorize this as a horror movie what would you really call it and i i on wikipedia it's uh it's listed as uh a a historical drama and I see that, but like, this is not exactly like pride and prejudice or something, you know, <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, you know what I mean? Like, it's not exactly, yeah. <clears throat> there are more horror elements in this, I think, than there are, uh, historical drama elements. Uh, though, Obviously, it is a historical drama, but it it is a one rife with with uh, horror elements. Yeah, it's it's really difficult because I had the same internal debate as I was watching it, where where I was thinking to myself, in a lot of ways, if you kind of outlined the overall plot of this movie to me, I don't know if I would call it a horror movie on that kind of high level, just look at this over on paper Mm -hmm. um, lens. Because, you know, a lot of times with horror movies, you either think um, some sort of supernatural element or some sort of serial killer um, and a certain set of tropes. Right. This has none of those. Right, yes. Um, There's not even really a question of whether or not Jean actually believes she's been possessed. Like, she might eventually because she's been driven insane by torture. Mm -hmm. But, like, when she's in her right mind, she knows she's lying. Right, yeah. And most everybody else does, too. Like, like everybody sees it for the farce that it is. So there's Mm -hmm. really no question about, like, well, is there a demonic influence? And we'll just never know. Like, that's not even hinted at. There's not even a, a small red herring towards that. It's like, nope. Yeah. This is all just these people doing this. I think the modern if if they made this movie, well, they wouldn't make this movie this way today, but yeah. <laughs> if they were to uh dare to make a remake of this, I feel like they'd probably hedge their bets and be like, "Well, maybe demons because right. it's that kind of lets you off the hook a bit to what's yeah. going on, whereas this movie the way they tell it very specifically does not let anybody off the hook for anything they've done. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So it's, it's tough. It doesn't have any of those kind of like 
easily identifiable horror tropes, but I have no idea what else you would call this movie. And when you do look at it, like, from a thematic point of view of, of, of the level of, like, death, destruction, and mayhem, and cruelty is pretty horrifying. So <laughs> I, yeah. I kind of guess you, you have to call it a horror movie because I just don't think that there is a genre for this outside of that. And I think I think many of those scenes of, of hysteria and the um, ins and outs of what witch finding consists of are as mm-hmm. terrifying and shocking as anything you're going to see in a capital H horror movie. Yeah. Yeah. And it does. Like, I know I referenced um, Edgar Allan Poe earlier. And it this does kind of remind me a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, of some of his writing. Mm, where, yeah. you know, like the classic, the Telltale Heart or the Cask of Amontillado. Like, there's no supernatural elements to those, like, stories at all. It's right. It's just horrible people have done a horrible thing. And there's this sort of psychological aspect of it of like you know being haunted by guilt or you know like just like letting your paranoia and your anger overwhelm you into doing something atrocious mm-hmm. and this movie feels more in line with that type of horror than what we commonly think of as like a horror movie today i think yeah yeah i think so um yeah i would you would you put it on the list I don't think so. Mm-hmm. And I say that because, again, I keep coming back to, like, what ideally the spirit of this list would be, even if it's not <laughs> what this list is in practice, um, which is the 200 greatest horror movies of all time. Mm-hmm. And I just think if we're talking about a horror horror movies that have had a a long-lasting impact on the genre or on pop culture or have been somehow innovative and transformative, you know, something that has that kind of, like, the impact in the moment but also the staying power. Mm -hmm. I don't think you could count this one, but I don't think that it's the movie itself's fault. Mm -hmm. I think it's more because it was so, like, just... Like, absolutely not. We're not showing this. Right, um, right. I think, I think that the fact that it was so restricted means that it never got the chance to kind of have that broader impact or, like, live on in, in the popular imagination in the way that uh, the other movies I would want on this list do. Mm. You know, it's funny because uh, <laughs> I would put it on the list and I would probably sure. put it fairly high. Um, mm. And all the stuff that you said is kind of baked into part of the reason why I would put it on the list because really? there's I think not only is this a I think it's just straight up a great movie. I think it's really really well done. The performances are awesome. The set design is like mm-hmm. unlike anything you're ever going to see. Oh god, yeah. Um it's going to make you squirm. It's going to make you think. Uh, it's gonna, it's gonna, you're gonna leave that movie and you're not, once you see it, you're not gonna forget it for a while, you know? True. And I think what you're talking about, how limited it was, not because of, uh, well, I guess because of what it was, but because of the, uh, interestingly enough, the, the, much like 
the events of the movie, the way other people thought of it ended up uh, sealing its its own fate. Mm. Um, I feel like that kind of bolsters it because it makes it more transgressive. And I think that element is something that is... Uh, if you're talking about like a cult movie, like there are plenty of movies mm-hmm. on this list that are cult movies... That that element of transgression, I think, is important to those types of movies because they are supposed to be movies that you're not really supposed to see or you're, that are spoken of in kind of hushed tones a little bit or, you know, passed around videotape yeah. to videotape. And I think that's a big element um, for this movie. And also, if you want to classify it as a horror movie, not a lot of period dramas are being given X ratings and not being released on video because of content. <laughs> Usually that only happens to horror movies. It doesn't – there's no uh, there's no longer cut of uh, Sophie's Choice that you, nobody can yeah. see because <laughs> it's just too shocking to put it out, you know? Um, yeah, no, those those are all really good points. I guess in my head, I I still just as much as I'm like, if you can't call this a horror movie, what can you call it? Mm-hmm. I, I still kind of quibble with the genre classification mm-hmm. on it, though. Well, you know, like I said, if 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 you would call I because I love the Wicker Man, I think mm-hmm. the Wicker it's debatable whether or not the Wicker Man is a horror movie because it's sure it's like a folk movie. It's kind of a musical but there's like yeah. these really horrific elements to it. Um, but cause you know, it deals with the super, not directly with the supernatural, but it deals with occultish beliefs and stuff. That's right. still kind of on the line. I think for a lot of people, I would classify it as a horror movie. Witchfinder general is kind of similar to this where it's, you're not dealing with monsters and stuff, but not like, you know, f- supernatural monsters, but there are, are monstrous mm-hmm. people in it doing monstrous things under the, umbrella of a supernatural or occultist or religious force Mm -hmm. if those two count i have to say that this one counts too that's a good argument yeah you might have changed my mind i'm not sure yet but you might have (laughs) that's what we're here to do amanda change minds and and uh, hearts and minds yeah uh, one of our listeners um reached out to me over our discord to inform inform me that uh he's been watching the last handful of our movies uh, that we've that we've covered with his wife, who mm-hmm. um, is really not happy about it. <laughs> oh, she, she he said. Uh, <laughs> hold on, let me let me pull it up. Sure. Uh, oh, I'm both like extremely excited about that, but I also kind of want to apologize to his wife. <laughs> <laughs> Listener uh, Seba informed me that uh, autopsy of Jane Doe last week, hereditary yesterday, Oculus today. My wife generally hates horror, but has so far been curious at the beginning of each one and is a completionist. Clay, she's not your biggest fan right now. <laughs> and that's all I ask. That's all I ask is that you watch these movies and you come away thinking, I, I don't know why I let somebody talk me into watching this. <laughs> you come away thinking, I don't really like that guy, Clay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, funny how it's my fault, and it's yeah. not—it's not your fault too. It's no, just me. I'm pure as the driven snow. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we'll see how she feels after they watch a dark song, and then maybe it'll be your fault. 
Yeah. Okay. That one would be my fault. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll take credit for that one. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I think that's going to do it for, for the devils. If, if you, if you have an opportunity to watch this, I think you should, if you're a horror fan, it's, I, I think it's a movie that should be seen. I think it's a, a crime that it's so difficult to see it. Yeah. Um, it's amazing that when, and I would, oh, go ahead. Oh, just, I would, I would love to hear other people's thoughts on this movie because I am still turning it around in my head and kind of trying to make heads or tails of how I feel about certain parts yeah. of it. Mm-hmm. So like, I think we would both really welcome the conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And if, uh, oh, shit, I forgot what I was going to say. Sorry. No, it's all right. But yeah, if you have an opportunity, if you have a chance to see it, please do. Um, I, and yeah, definitely, definitely reach out and leave a comment on YouTube or something. Or if you're on our Discord, uh, feel free to chime in on our Rotten Horror thread because I, I would love to hear what people have to say about this. I, mm-hmm. if you if you say you hated it and it's the worst movie you've ever seen, I'd say that's perfectly fair. And if you say I loved it, it's the greatest movie I've ever seen, I would say I think that's perfectly fair. So yeah. Um, speaking of our Discord, uh, if you want to join us on there, if you want to become a Patreon member you can go to patreon.com slash the penske file where you get a whole bunch of other podcasts including amanda and i running through the friday the 13th series once a month uh i'm not totally sure what month we're in right now but whatever month we're in that's the number of friday the 13th that we're going to be covering so uh um join us for that i think that's been really fun i've been kind of lukewarm on that series in the past but i'm I'm really kind of coming around to it i think yeah, it's a good time. To, it's a good time to watch those and talk about them. They're they're that correct level of like campy and and classic horror, and they're just really fun. Yeah, I think so. But thank you guys for listening, Amanda. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Clay. Oh wait, I forgot. I got to hit the randomizer button. Beep, boop, 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 <gasps> boop, 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 boop. So next time we're we're sticking. We're gonna stay in the seventies. We're gonna stay in nineteen seventy one. Next time Ooh. we'll be doing. Another movie which I think is underseen, but it's not. It's not like this one in that it is like over the top and transgressive, and you're not going to be believe what you're seeing. But it is similar in that the style present is probably mm. unlike most horror movies you're going to see uh, outside of apparently 1971. <laughs> We're going to be doing the Abominable Doctor Fives which is one of my favorite Vincent Price movies. So I'm very excited about oh, that. I'm very excited. I, I fucking love Vincent Price. This is going to be great. Yeah. it's He's also in uh, Witchfinder General, playing a very non-Vincent oh. Price role, but uh, a very good performance from him. But uh, awesome. thank you guys again. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back next time with the Abominable Dr. Fox. See ya. Bye, everyone. Bye.